Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at bkcwest.com. What we're going to do today is we're actually going to do, like you've ever read a book or watched a movie and it seems like the author is taking too long to get to it. You're like, I got to find out what happens. You know, like, I don't have time to just walk through this. I got to skip to the end, right? Uh, I got I to just look at the last chapter. How does this all turn out? That's what we're going to do today. We're going to break all the rules. You're not supposed to do that. But that's what we're going to do with Genesis, because we are going to hop back and talk about some of the things in 43 through 50, but we're going to start today with the end, and we're going to look at where things are. We left off last week by looking at, uh, there was this tension because if you know the story of Joseph, or, or you don't, uh, this family that God has said, hey, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. I'm going to make things right with the whole world through you. Um, they do their best, and they seek after God, and they make it a mess, and all sorts of things. But Joseph is this brother that was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he ended up uh, um, you know, in this place of authority in Egypt and they come to him and they don't recognize him. And, and you, there's just this tension of, um, this tension of, gosh, can things be right? Like, can there be redemption? Like, you guys need to get along. Like, come on, this has to happen now. And, and yet it doesn't happen. It seems like everybody's playing games. And in the midst of it, as readers, we're given the opportunity to say, what would I do in that instance? Or what do I do in my life when things like that happen? And so we fast forward and everybody makes up, everything's going good, and now we see the last scene of the book and we see kind of a Hallmark-ish ending here. So those that love the Hallmark endings. But chapter 50, verse 14, it says, after burying Jacob, Joseph's dad, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brother became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. They said, so they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, they're lying here. Um, uh, you know, this really didn't happen. Uh, but they're, they're kind of saying, hey, we got to angle in here. Um, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. So in verse 20, where it says um, that you... There's different versions, but you intended to harm me or you intended this for evil, but God meant it for good. So the word good there is tov. And if you were here in the beginning, uh, we talked about that, um, that all throughout Genesis 1 and 2, and we're going to look at it briefly, uh, that everything that God did was good and then very good. And so that's the tension all throughout Genesis is 
can God bring this back to goodness? Can he bring it back to it? And that's how we see the book here. We see Joseph, who was sold into slavery, falsely accused. Uh, he went into prison. He you know, uh, thought he would get out of prison, but people didn't remember him. And he helped people and did all this stuff. He had integrity. And it just it kept not working out. But God was moving in all of this for his purpose. Notice that um, he says that uh, in verse 20, he says, he brought me to this position so I could give, save the lives of many people. So Joseph has perspective. And his perspective is, is that God is good. And he, his perspective is, is that God will move all things to good. And he's experienced that in his own life. And so uh, what we see throughout Genesis is a recap to look back. Now that we've looked at the end, this is where things end up. Is We look at verse, chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. And in chapters 1 and 2, we see that God is creator that everything that is, God created. Uh, We can also look forward to the New Testament in the Gospel of John, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And and it goes on to say that the Word created everything that was created. And so we know that it was Jesus that that created all things. And so uh, we know that God creates intentionally and personally. And then in chapters 1, Uh, he has seven different points where he says, and God saw that it was good. And on the seventh time, abundantly good. So that that word tov or good, uh, you may have heard like mazel tov, right? Uh, Well, good luck. So it's the Hebrew word tov. It means good. And so um, the reasons that God says his creation is good is that it has All of his creation has life in it, and it's able to share that life with others. And that life then creates more life. And so when God says something is good, it has to have that in there. You see that with when he speaks to Adam, he says, it is not tov, it is not good for man to be alone. Why? because he could not share the life that was in him with another. And so God created woman and woman needed man for her to share the life as well. And so that's chapters one and two, which like from a worldview perspective answers, where do we come from? Like, how did this all start? Well, God created everything and he created it good that there would be life moving and flowing from one another to each other. And that's how it was. But then we see chapters 3 to 11 of Genesis, and we see answers the worldview question of what went wrong, right? Is that human beings, instead of referencing God for what was good or evil, they referenced themselves, right? They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so now, as they were deciding what was good, we saw this just spin out all throughout Genesis. But everything changed in chapter 12, where God would begin to fulfill his promise in a specific way of when he spoke to the serpent in chapter three, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. So the first promise of Messiah, the first promise of Jesus. And so, but we wonder, you know, what is God going to do? How is he going to do this? Chapter 12, he calls Abraham and Abraham turns into Isaac, and then Isaac turns into Jacob, and then Jacob into Joseph, and then all of the tribes of Israel. And 
what God is doing is he's choosing this family that it wasn't because they were the best. It wasn't because they were, uh, you know, the best family out there or had the most talent or those things, but it's because they believed in God by faith. Abraham and Sarah first, and then each generation, God would work in them to draw them to himself and they would believe in him by faith. And so that's what we see all throughout scripture um, in, in Genesis, that's what we've seen. And so even though people have these turns and moves throughout things, uh, God ends up bringing it back. And that's what we see him do here with Joseph. And uh, so God basically promises a fix. You know, we're looking at the beginning of this fix, thousands of years. We have the benefit of looking back and seeing that ultimately the way he does it through Jesus. But think about it. I mean, when you think about a fix right? I mean, it's really important, like, how good is the fix? Uh, you know, I, I recently, we've had a bunch of stuff break, uh, you know, all of our cars and different things. And, and one of the conversations recently with our mechanic on, on, on one of the vehicles, it was just kind of like, well, if we do that, it's, we're going to have to do this, and we're going to have to take that and do this. And we have a great mechanic. They're super honest. And, and I said, well, can you just put something on it? You know, like, you know, JB Weld, that kind of thing. Instead of doing, can you just, he goes, we can try that. You know, okay, that's what we tried. And, and so that's what we're doing right now. And, uh, but then I was driving, uh, I was driving, I have this old truck that I love and um, we deserve each other, I think. And, and uh, it, it's just, uh, I'm, we were driving the other day because we dropped off another vehicle to get an oil change. And, and Michelle is uh, in the passenger seat and my son Zane's in the back and, and we're driving, and, and Zane looks over at the passenger window. He goes, why is there duct tape all over the window? You know, and I said, I say, well, that's, that's how the window uh, goes up, because the, um, the engine or the motor on it, uh, it, or it's off track in there, motor. I have, just haven't fixed it in like nine months. And so uh, what I do is, is I, I put, put the window up, but then I have duct tape on there to grab it, to give it enough force to make sense, right? Like some of you are nodding, right? Doesn't that make total sense to you? You know, and I just want to tell you that those are the kind of fixes that maybe I do, maybe you don't do those, but like that's kind of how life is. I heard uh, TJ up here earlier when they were practicing, he talked about putting duct tape on, on something over here, you know, his drum and stuff. And, and that's kind of how we do stuff. Like, can I just make it work and that sort of thing? Well, God's fix is not like that. God's fix is one that's stable. God's fix is one that's strong. Uh, in Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus, once for all, like it's settled, it's done. And all of this was leading up to that. And that's what we see with Jesus. And what it was, though, is it was a promise. And, you know, when I make a promise or you make a promise, uh, it's different than when God makes a promise, even if we follow through. Because ultimately for God, is God promises something, he's saying, he's declaring it, that it is. So if God promises it, it's done. It's just like when he, he spoke things into existence. That's what he does. And so when God makes a promise, we see a promise here in scripture, God is going to do it. So when God says, I'm going to make things right between people, I'm going to do it. But in a simple way, what he's saying is he's saying, I'm going to make everything good. Everything's going to be good. It's all going to be good. It's all going to be tov. It's going to be the place ultimately where there's going to be life and everything and life is giving back to other things around too. And so God's promise is what we seek God continually to do. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, 
as we've gone through Genesis, I've noticed, um, I've just seen God as more tender, more affectionate, more caring, uh, more present than I, than I had ever in Genesis before. Uh, because a lot of the ups and downs of the people in Genesis, like those get all the highlights, right? Like people do this, people do that. People, that's kind of, if you read Genesis that way, it's kind of discouraging. But if you lean in and, and you take it from the perspective of God as the one that is really, you know, the star, you say, wow, he is chasing down people time and time again. And it's because of this promise, that he's promised something, he's going to make it happen, and he's going to work through people. And you can't mess up the promise of God. You can't mess up that plan. And so bringing you back to Genesis 45, kind of a little bit earlier, five chapters earlier than what we just read, this is when Joseph reveals to his brothers who he is. I mean, they think he's dead at this point. They think he's gone and they're interacting with this, this weird leader that keeps doing weird stuff. Like he'll sell them grain and then put their money back in their bag and tell them to bring their brother and asking questions about their family. And they're just like, what is going on? But Joseph all the, all the while is testing them to see if they're truly repentant. Testing them to see if they, they actually are okay, you know, now. Are they safe people for him to be around? And so he finds out and it's okay. And they come back to him and pick, it picks up in verse four of chapter 45. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. So now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. So do you notice his, the wording that he uses? Is that um, don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. So Joseph has God's perspective on all of this. He notices and he's starting to catch on that this idea of being blessed to be a blessing to the nations. Because it wasn't just that God's going to like, hey, I'm just going to like bless you guys just to do that. I'm, I'm blessing you so that you bless everybody else. And it wasn't just that God would bless the nations when Jesus came, but it would just be a perpetual blessing of the nations. That, that's how it had always been for people that believe in God by faith, right? I mean, that, that's our, our main category. That's our main uh, um, job description is, is that we would be carriers of light and love, God's light and love, God's restoration, God's reconciliation, God's healing to all those that are around us. That, that's what we are. And so we see that Joseph is understanding that. And you say, well, how's he sending before and what's the big deal? If Joseph hadn't gone before his brothers, this whole family probably would have been wiped out in Canaan. And if this whole family was wiped out, then 
God's salvation could not have come through. And that means that Jesus would not have come, which means that you and I would not receive the salvation that he gives us. See, all of that is lined up in this. And so when he says, like, you meant it for this, but God actually brought me here in this. Now you say to yourself, is God cruel? Like, did God say, all right, I'm going to cause this to happen? No. This is like where you look at the will of God and how God works in lives. Um, Typically, when you say you totally understand the will of God, watch out. Or you understand the way God works, watch out. Because God works in different ways, right? His word says that his ways are different than our ways. And so as you, as you look at things, recognize that what God knew, he knew that Joseph's brother's hearts were uh, adverse to him. And he also knew that Joseph was, was like stood up prideful and said, hey, I had this dream. You know, I had this dream that you guys were all bowing down to me and, and even my mother and father were bowing down to me. You know, I mean, like in other words, he, he spoke that out and they got angry. They got tired of listening to him. So God knew that that interaction between the family. So what God did is he allowed those things to happen so that he could accomplish what he would do. And you say, well, why couldn't he do it a different way? I don't know. That's just, that's just that's what he chose. That's how he chose to do it. But I think there's some hints that we can see in that why God allows hard things to happen to accomplish what he ultimately wants to do in his promise is that character is formed in us, is that we become the people that can walk in the promises of God and walk in his ultimate promise and be carriers of light and love if he allows adversity in our lives, if he allows people in our lives to influence us for good And he allows things in our lives that people influence us in a negative way too. And as he shapes us and moves in us, because he's not just about the end, he's also about the means. He's big on the journey, like who we become along the way. Uh, You know, it's like, you know, a lot of times, you know, as a follower of God, you look at the will of God, well, does God want me to live here or live here? Or does God want me to work here or here? Or does God want me to... Uh, do this or that? And uh, those are all good questions, but I think as we read God and as we read his word and look at him, I think that God's heart is more, how will you live where you live? You know, uh, how will you work where you work? Uh, You know, uh, how will you do that? He's more focused on the substance of it than, you know, the black car or the red car or the, that sort of thing. You hear what I'm saying? It's more important, like, who are we as we do that than this specific thing? And so um, God doesn't cause these things, but he, he allows it and he works in it. And uh, it's amazing how he does it. Like, I just, I mean, isn't it amazing that God takes the messes that that I make, the messes that you make, the messes that we all make together, you know, our families and histories and people and towns and countries and states and governments and in world, right? Now that we have the internet, you know, we all know, you know, that we all are making big messes, you know, across the globe. And yet God somehow is able to continue in the midst of that to work his promise. And uh, on my scale, I think of it, uh, when, when my boys were little, they, uh, they loved Legos. 
They actually love Legos again. Uh, we, we took a trip to, uh, to Branson uh, a couple months ago, and uh, we told them all, okay, uh, one of the activities we'll do is uh, we'll, we'll get you, uh, you know, you can have an activity. Each boy chose an activity. We have three sons. And so one of the boys said, okay, I want us to go to Target, and you buy us whatever toy we want. You know, and they're 19, 17, and 15, you know. And, and so uh, they got Legos, you know, the little Star Wars Lego ships and cars and stuff. And uh, one of my sons, he, he had, uh, for his birthday, he wanted the Republic gunship, Star Wars Republic gunship. And I put that thing together about eight times, you know, and, and it took, I mean, it would take like eight to 10 hours each time. And he, well, why'd you put it together so much? Well, because we'd get it together and then, you know, never fail, like a week or two later, like, well, what happened? Well, I took it apart. Why? I, I don't know. I wanted that piece over here or, or one of the brothers would do something to it or, or that sort of thing. And, and, and so the problem was is that when it's in the packages, easy peasy, right? You just take it out of the package. There's the part. There's the piece. But then the Legos would get mixed in with the other Legos, you know? And it's like, and, and dad has to fix it, right? Well, where's this part? Uh, it's in here. And there's like 3,000 Legos, you know? And, you know, it's just, that's how it is, I would think, for God. But somehow, even though I'm not able to navigate those situations, God is able to. And so there's, there's, not, there's not a situation alive that, that God can't take the mess, pull it together, and have the completed peace, the good. Because he's good. Right? God is good. What do you say? What is, God is good? All the time, right? He's good all the time. I mean, isn't that what that means? Like when we say God is good all the time, aren't we saying that, that God is good because everything in him is good and everything that flows out of him is good and, and he's working all things into good? I mean, that's what we're saying when we say that, is that his, his total complete approach is to move things into a good place where life is happening and so Joseph understood this, his brothers understood it, the whole family of Abraham understood it, that you have God moving things towards good, but there's an invitation. There's an invitation as we see this happening. It's just, we're not just spectators. This is the invitation that God puts out to all people. And the invitation is to enter into the good. And it's, yes, you can pray a prayer and say, God, I give you my life. I recognize what Jesus Christ has done for me. I recognize that he has risen from the grave. I recognize that, that he laid down everything for me and he made things right. I surrender my life to him. And then God says, great, now let's get to work. You know? And so God is going to work and redeem the things in this situation, in this life. And God's going to work and redeem in the things in this part of my life, in that part. And, and then when you think that you've got your Republic gunship all together, then you put it together again. You're like, God, I need your help again. And that's what he does. And so it's a constant invitation to view things in regards to his purpose. That's what Joseph does, going back to the verse we looked at, chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. And so that's what Joseph is doing. He's accepting the invitation of God to bring his life under God's good work. To say, God, whatever's happening in my life, whatever's going on here, it's okay. It's okay, I trust you. 
because you're good. And you're moving all things to good. And so Joseph was really the first guy that would claim the scripture that a lot of us love, which is Romans 8, 28. It says this, it says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, there's different versions. This is the NIV. The New Living Translation says, like, um, his purpose for them. And that's tweaking things a little bit. Because that's kind of more like a, in so, I would see kind of an Americanized view of like, you know, like nothing really happened with Jesus or God, you know, through me, or it all happens through here. The real language of the scripture in, in the, the verses here is, is saying that who are called according to his purpose. Well, what purpose? It all started back in Genesis. That God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head that Jesus would come, that salvation would come, that a permanent fix would be brought into place. And so God works all things together for good as we participate in his purpose. And so we may have things in our lives and, and we can say, well, God, when are you working this? He's not working it to make my life comfortable or better or the best version of me in those things. He's working it so that we play our part in his purpose. That's what he has made us for. He's created us to be a part of this bigger purpose of the redemption of all things. That's what's happening on the earth. And he moves in us and works in us for that. So may we be people that continue and partner with God in his purpose. That whatever comes our way, we say, God, it's okay. We trust you. And what you're doing, work in us your purpose for our lives. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. 